This Much We Know is a podcast offering an honest and informative perspective of the realities and motivations of setting up a social enterprise. We will be joined by a number of charity leaders and social entrepreneurs whose trading models work to end homelessness. We will be sharing their stories, tips and of course their face palm moments. Welcome to This Much We Know podcast. We've got a really brilliant guest with us this afternoon. We're really pleased to welcome Tim from the Cooperative and Community Finance Organisation. Tim, we tend to let our guests do their own introduction. It's safer that way, we've learned. So, Tim, do you want to say hello, a little bit about what you do, where you do it, and perhaps just to throw in a first question, what drives you? What what makes you interested in, in, in working for the organisation? Yeah, sure. So yeah, my name's Tim Coomer. I'm the Business Development Manager at uh, Co-op and Community Finance. So we shorten that to CCF. It used to be uh, ICOF Limited. We were set up in 1973 as Industrial Common Ownership Finance Limited. So a really long time ago. We were essentially sort of set up to support employee-owned businesses who were finding it really difficult to access finance. So we came about, yeah, nearly 50 years ago now to support that particular sector, but also that sort of cooperatives came into that that sector as uh, as well. So, so we had some money from government and also from an employee-owned company called Scott Bader, who's still operating today. And over the years, we've evolved and we've sort of recycled the uh, the funds that we have into loan funds primarily. And some of that is through the retail co-op societies that people know, the shops on the high streets and other sort of cooperatives. The co-op world is really complex. Uh, there's lots of different facets to it and uh, it covers you know, a multitude of sectors and different organisational structures and part of that sits within sort of um, you know, what we see as social enterprise and the organisation has, has certainly sort of had to evolve over the years to, to become more social enterprise-y into, into that sort of market as it, uh, as it has emerged sort of through throughout the years. I mean, actual fact, I mean, more of what we do now in terms of lending is into community businesses, you know, sort of that phrase coined by Power to Change that um, that we support. And probably about 75% of our lending now is into that sector, whereas previously it would have been primarily into traditional co-ops and worker and, and employee-owned uh, organisations. So, yeah, that's sort of snapshot. Me, I've been here six years at uh, Co-op and Community Finance. Prior to that, I worked at a rural community council in Wiltshire, where I ran various projects, mainly around enterprise, um, so rural enterprise communities, working predominantly with community shops and various different initiatives to support um, small businesses in, in rural areas. And before that, I had a retail background. My parents had uh, convenience stores in in villages and uh, I I worked within the business for some time. So sorry, that was probably a rather longer introduction than normal. But uh, yeah, that's that's me. No, really good. Thank you, Tim. Oh, it's really good to have you with us. And um, what you did was really good. You gave us sort of a a sort of history of the co-op movement, which is really it's really interesting, isn't it? And you're right. There's so much going on within it. Yeah, it's quite you know, for us outsiders, quite difficult to understand which part is which, but it's really good to sort of have you on. What does it look like day to day in terms of cooperative community finance? What does that look like in terms of what you're working on, type of organisation that you're sort of connected with? Could you give us a bit more insight on that side of things? Yeah, sure. So so we're very small. There's only four of us. We sort of always say we punch above our weight because most people see us as a, uh, a larger organisation, you know, with 
we we sit within the sort of responsible finance CDFI sort of sector within the social investment uh, social investment world, which is you know evolved more recently with you know with big society capital and different organisations being able to put sort of finance into this sector. We've always been lucky. We've, re- we've relied on our own funds to sort of revolve that. So so who we lend to is quite specific at the moment so we are very much about lending to co-ops and cooperative forms and there are a multitude of those as we'd sort of said and it's it's a very mixed picture um so that can be sort of traditional co-ops but also community benefit societies more so than ever is the structure that we tend to support we did some quite a lot of work about 10, well, 15 years ago now, probably uh, with the Plunkett Foundation around community shops. And there was a big program at the time. There was an awful lot of village shops that were closing down and communities were uh, purchasing um, the shops or setting up temporary shops within their communities to provide that access to services. These were the kind of last last places in the village where there was any enterprise or access to services. And that sort of, you know, projects brought about the use of sort of community benefit societies and community shares um, which is very much sort of part of that we were involved with a partnership project with Plunkett and government at the time where there was sort of blended finance that went in so we provided the loans there was grants that went into that and uh, and then there was community shares from that sort of community shares perspective and more recently that's evolved into what was the more than a pub program that that we were involved with up until recently again growing community pubs community ownership of uh, of pubs as uh, as more and more pubs especially in rural areas were um, were closing so we sort of as community violence do various things so we do some project work like that and have done with more than the pub sort of finishing and we've done other other work with co-op foundation more recently we actually provide some back office support to other lenders which is uh, something else we do and then there's the lending that we do ourselves to um yeah to the the sort of co-ops and and societies that that are out there and and again you know a real range from you know employee employee owned manufacturing company you know there's there's one i can think of based in wales which was prime pack and you know they needed some great investment through to get them through covid because they'd sort of uh, they provide packaging pharmaceutical packaging so obviously they got really busy you know sort of pre-covid and that's a reasonably large employee owned company and then you know to you know to sort of community pubs which we do an awful lot of uh, more recently and you know we've just we've just done two two deals that are just going out the door one in Leicestershire and one in one in Devon in the last few days where the communities have taken ownership of those pubs and we've lent to them um, to be able to get that uh, to get that scheme off the ground but a real mix uh, you know housing you know housing co-ops in there as well housing co-ops we've we've always been quite close to a a specific housing housing co-op sector uh, which is quite small there's sort of two different ways to look at housing go at some some housing co-ops are quite big and there's um you know a sort of these are these are owned by the residents but they could be blocks of flats or multiple houses we tend to get involved on the smaller end where it's just a single house with multiple occupants and the benefits of that is that you know this is a house that is purchased by the co-op so people come and go they move in they move out they carry on they never have any cash in there they're just um, able to 
to, to have relatively cheap rents. I mean, not always, it just depends where they are, um, but they have that security and they have the decision-making powers, you know, when they're a member of that co-op, it's one member, one vote, as is akin to all sort of co-ops and they have, they choose collectively how they will operate uh, and, you know, the sort of the prices of rent that they'll charge and, and that type of thing. So, so we support those sort of single house co-ops along with along with other lenders. Um, wow. But yeah, a real, real range, real range. Yeah. So I mean, diverse, isn't it? Between four of you, it sounds, it sounds like quite a lot. I think for our listeners and, and admittedly for mine as well, could, could you talk a bit more about the co-op side? You know, as, as a definition, I guess, in terms of what, what it is for you that makes up a co-op? Yeah, so... You know, so so co-ops have a have a very long history, and I won't go back to the Rochdale pioneers and uh, and, uh, and all of that. But um, you know, co-ops have have been an answer for lots of people and communities of you know collective decision making. You know, we still operate under uh, the seven cooperative you know principles, and every co-op um, that is established you know sort of tries to tries to do that. But it is a really complex picture. Um, you look at the co-op group, as we call it, who owns a lot of the retail, you know, the shops on the high street, but they're not all of them. So there are other co-op societies that are large that, that own, you know, hundreds of shops also, like Mid-County Co-op or, or Central England Co-ops, etc. Then you have some really large agricultural co-ops that are just farmer co-ops. So lots of farmers pull together uh, to get the best price for their wheat or, or whatever it may be so you have sort of some of those on those sort of larger scales and within some of that we think about people like um, the John Lewis partnership who aren't strictly a co-op but they're within that kind of the, the kind of uh, mutual world that we sit in uh, you know a sort of waitrose underneath that that so that's a that's a co-op owned by the workers completely all the workers are sort of own that co-op and then and then sort of all the way through really um, to within you know various different sizes um, all the way down to some very small worker co-ops where it may just be you know three people that sort of get together um, to um, to to provide a service but I mean ultimately they they all trade these are all enterprises um, you can get charitable community benefit societies, but in essence, they are organisations that, um, that, that trade. Um, as I said before, democracy is the key. It's one member, one vote in, you know, in the majority of, uh, of co-ops. So the control is with, always with the people that are involved. Um, you know, we, we ourselves are a, a sort of co-op. We're quite unusual. We operate a flat structure. You know, we talked about there being four of us. We all get paid on the same pay scale. And, you know, there isn't a boss. You know, we have to we have to work collectively. Sometimes it could be a challenge. Uh, and we have a board of directors, you know, that are ultimately we're responsible to within the, you know, within the organisation and, and the co-op. And there's some, you know, there is some fantastic examples out there of, you know, that co-ops that kind of work on the, the sort of flat structure. There's an organisation called SUMA, uh, which is a large whole food co-op with hundreds of employees, um, all paid the same. And they all swap jobs around. Some days they might be driving the forklift. Sometimes they might be in the marketing office. And there's other examples like Unicorn Grocery in, in, in Manchester. 
you know, so there's 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 sort of variations on uh, you know the sort of co-op theme really. But it is it's about but it's about democracy and it's about trading. Um, and those two elements are, are sort of key. I mean, there are the, the seven principles. I won't get through them. Um, but also, what, but one of those principles is 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 where you know co-ops work with each other and agree to um, you know to to help each other and support each other. Cooperation among cooperatives is the kind of principle, uh, and that's something that's that's sort of quite important to us as well. That's brilliant, isn't it? It's like having the, it's, well, arguably the original social enterprise, isn't it? The co-op movement as a whole. I mean, I'm, I'm generalising massively there, I appreciate, but it is, yeah, it's really good. I think we haven't talked about cooperatives much, have we, Murphy? So it's really good actually to have Tim on um, and to think about that. And it's so broad, isn't it? It's so broad from community pubs uh, to community-owned housing and community shares. And yeah, there's all of these, yeah, it's just such a, a diverse area isn't it it's a podcast se- season in itself really to look at each of those i didn't know there were seven principles behind the co-op so i think we're gonna have to yeah we're gonna have to put that in the show notes i think actually so people can go and have a look at that um yeah brilliant i was yeah really good to have you on tim i i have a follow-up question something you said earlier and it is uh, one of self-interest so apologies to listeners but as a very proud devonian what is the Devon Community Pub? Uh, right, okay, so it's uh, it's the Sir Walter Rally in uh, in East Budley. They've actually got a community shop within their village, very vibrant uh, village. About, about I think it's probably about 12, 15 years ago now. They 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 lost their shop and they put in a temporary shop, uh, and that was really successful. And um, a few years later, they built the shop next to the village hall, um, so they've got their own shop. And then the last pub in the village was became, got into trouble just before COVID. The people who owned it had been in a few tenancies over the years and never quite worked. And the last sort of uh, person that owned it just needed to kind of like, oh, no, we've got to a crisis point. We need to go. And at that time, you know, this is only a few months ago, the villagers sort of got together and say, OK, let's let's purchase the pub. Um, so they've uh, they've just done that. They've purchased beautiful chocolate box village thatched pub which is uh, you know needs a bit of work over the years and they want to do a bit of an extension and um but but ultimately you know they've saved their pub and and you know and saved it for the community in perpetuity really and i think that's really important aspect and, and i think we're seeing an awful lot more of it about this acquiring assets for the community mm. uh you know in perpetuity I mean, we've seen this some of this through release of community assets from local authorities through the right to bid and, and sort of those sort of mechanisms, you know, probably more so in urban areas, you know, that's that's more of an opportunity. And we've you know been involved with projects that uh, sort of supports that uh, that asset ownership. Um, yeah, so that's uh, that's mm. but that's that's the Devon one. And I think there's there's about 180 community pubs now um, across the UK, and it's a it's a sort of growing it's a growing market, and that's what we've found. The sort of once one has been successful, you know, the sort of case studies get out there, and more or more communities learn about this, and then they sort of go out and do it themselves. And we see it in all sorts of different areas. I mean, what makes community pubs work? probably is the community shares element and we sort of touched on it a little bit before it gets very complicated so I won't go into it now but effectively 
community benefit societies that um, that come under the FCA and not uh, not companies house they can um, they can offer shares with what's called withdrawable shares uh, to individuals without becoming under problems with the financial markets regulations enabling equity out there in the market so they can they can it's quite a unique sort of way of doing things to get equity into these organizations and so we're quite involved with community shares and a lot of the organizations we support have got community shares in one way or another and you know sort of community shares is a growing market um, that I'm involved with I'm involved with sort of Co-ops UK and their booster program so their booster program provides some institutional match to to people who uh, want to to organizations that want to raise money through shares so you know they, they they that's been running for a few years now where they'll match you know one pound to um, the one pound that comes in from the community and that's enabled a lot of a lot of you know a lot of pubs but also you know a real wide range of organizations you know sort of from farms you know community farm initiatives to sort of community hubs and actually more recently things that aren't necessarily asset backed equal care co-op is one that i can sort of think of that's more recently it's a platform co-op um, you know sort of set up to try and and solve the issue around low pay for for care workers and that precarious nature of, of sort of care working and to try and match up care workers that can earn a decent living with individuals that need the care, trying to cut out some of the, you know, the, the costly systems that uh, care providers who have got shareholders effectively need to, to make their money. So, you know, equal care is a sort of example of that. And we're seeing more in the digital and tech markets that are looking to do things very differently and very innovatively. We find it all a bit scary as a lender. You know, there's a lot of risk in um, platforms and tech. Um, you know, a pub is good for us because we can see the bricks and mortar. And if it all goes wrong, we say we own your pub now and we can <laughs> sell it and recover our money effectively. But, you know, but when it's not asset backed, that's 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 more of a complex picture. But we're seeing it more so. And that's certainly coming more into the community shares market as well what does talk us through community shares tim what does what, what does the community share mean so i'm thinking for people that are listening that might this might be new territory for them what does that what does that effectively mean yeah so i mean effectively it means that um that people are um are buying shares in in a community enterprise as they would be um if they were just you know buying shares in in say tesco's but the difference between community shares is that they don't increase in value so if you put in a hundred pounds um in 20 years time it will still be worth a hundred pounds but what the difference is is that the uh, the organization the enterprise can pay interest on that share on that share uh, annually or uh, so you know they could be paying two percent or five percent or ten percent every year and we've seen some really successful um community share raises in the in the community energy market um, where actually um, you know people have put in invested money into wind turbines or solar pv arrays and actually now they're earning you know five or six percent a year interest from that in money that they've invested so the stake that they put in will never increase in value but they can earn interest from it the difference between community shares is that it's 
somebody doesn't then need to come along and, and buy those shares to get you out to withdraw the shares but it is up to the organization to to feel when they can give you some money back so that to enable people to withdraw um but that's in the control of that community enterprise um to say okay we've made enough profit we've got enough surplus you know we can give you know 10 people back their their stake if they want it back um and and equally the you know the committees of these organizations they set the interest rate you know if the organization is profitable and they can afford to pay you know sort of five percent interest then they'll do that but if they can't you know they don't and then they don't need to they don't have to do that and equally if somebody just says okay i want my 100 quid back then they don't have to do that until they're until they're ready there's you know there's always slight variations on death and things like that about you know about when when things are due but you know as with all cooperatives all of those investors are members and they all get a say and and if somebody puts in 100 pounds they have the same vote and the same share as somebody who puts in 50,000 pounds democracy at its finest isn't it there's so much that we could cover here. I just want to bring it back to the kind of lending perspective. You know, you touched on before sort of the, you know, pubs being quite a safe bet for you, but but this new sort of um, tech space being new. From from your perspective, you know, sitting in an investment committee, a grants panel, what are three things that are really key for you when looking at a, an enterprise to fund? So, yeah, I mean, trade trading potential um, is always what we want to see. Um you know, I think this is where co-ops are slightly different from social enterprise in a way. We expect co-ops um, to be trading, to be self-financing, you know, pretty much from the get-go. Uh, I mean, I'm one of the old, you know, sort of social enterprise advisors where I used to advise, um, you know, enterprises I was working with as a practitioner years ago, that if you're not trading within five years, forget it, you're not, you're not a social enterprise. Um, and, you know, you really ought to be, you know, just looking at uh, maximising uh, charitable funding all the time and fundraising. But co-ops sort of slightly different. So from the, from the start, they, they should be trading. So trading something that we always look at, um, you know, what is that trading potential? Um, what is it? What is it doing? Um, so that's, uh, you know, that that's sort of key. Um, the other thing for us is the people. Uh, and it's not just people managing it, although that is important. You know, we look wider. Um, you know, we we look at who the who the board is, um, who's who's controlling it. Um, but also for us as co-ops, we want to see the democracy in that structure. How does that realistically really work? Um, are members really given the voice? Um, because you know, within any enterprise, you can't have you know. 20,000 people all making the decisions you've got to have a core team or a board or whoever but equally we want to make sure that um, when the membership um, need a voice that they have a voice and it's all there legally they have to um, but you know but we like to see that that is that is working in practice and again a little bit I won't go back over community shares but there is something about uh, having that investment in there that that makes people more involved and more likely to be involved in that enterprise and organization because they've got a proper stake in it um mm. so so obviously that's uh, the, the sort of people is very important and then really it's it's down to purpose you know ultimately what are they doing and what's the 
uh, what's the impact on the community and the membership that they're they're looking at and I think and that's where perhaps you know in some ways co-ops are there's certain there's community co-ops and then there's more traditional co-ops um, so the more traditional co-ops is about the benefit to the membership not necessarily outside of that membership although as we know you know people like co-op shops you know they're very much you know about fair trade and supporting anti-slavery legislation etc cetera, etc cetera. so it, within the ethos it's it's always there but in reality if it was a, just a small co-op that's uh, um, say a printer's co-op or something they don't necessarily need to um, to worry too much about the outside but community co-ops you know certainly do and that's that's something that their activity is going to support that so you know we talked about pubs you know usually it's the last pub in the village and this is about services and then you know you think about you know loneliness and isolation for individuals that can't access these services if it wasn't there in a village and and that's kind of that that they're, they're all the added sort of unseen things that the benefits that, mm. that they will bring. And then there'll be, you know, there'll be more traditional sort of social enterprises where um, it's much more apparent what that organisation is doing to support that particular mm. group of individuals that need that support. But yeah, certainly so trading people and purpose, I think, is probably the three that I Brilliant. We've covered so many different areas. It just shows the sort of, yeah, the sort of range or the scale that co-ops work within so no it's really it's really interesting i've got loads of questions i could ask you about that for you sort of when you first encounter a group and i think a lot of our audience are people working in the homeless sector we spend a lot of time with people saying actually we'd like to run a housing project or we'd you know we'd like to buy a, a block of flats so we can house some young people and support them properly what role can the cult play in that what should people be thinking about if they're going to you know get in contact with you to talk about operating that as a, a cooperative what would you advise them to do yeah, I mean, I think it's. I think we're always we're always happy to have some early conversations uh, and point people in the right direction to get the support. I mean, I think for finance organisations, it is difficult to know, you know, when to get involved or, or when to start them on that journey of um, of accessing of accessing finance. Um, but you know, but we can sometimes be just that point of contact that points points people in the right direction if, if we know ourselves where you know we want to push people like you know within sort of cows housing co-ops there's um the cch which is a confederation of cooperative housing you know they're sort of a source of um that people can go to to look at um you know that sort of co-op housing model um there is a more out there organization called radical roots that works in the um you know, works in cooperative housing. So, you know, there are organisations there that can support that and, and they have lots of guidance and materials um, to help uh, to help people look at that. I think where we sort of, sometimes it's difficult. And I think, again, this is a slight difference between co-ops and, um, and social enterprise. By the very nature of co-ops and, and the numbers of people, we don't really get on entrepreneurs because you know you've got to be a collective of entrepreneurs to be a co-op you can't be one single social entrepreneur um, it kind of doesn't work with the model that's not to say that social entrepreneurs can't you know set up co-ops and, and be that ignition to get to get that movement going I think that's that's very important but you know but you know for us we're always just happy to to have a look at the model um, but again, we want to see we want to see how it trades. And I think sometimes, if if I was to sort of draw some comparisons with 
you know, more traditional charities uh, and some social enterprise in a way. They kind of come to us and, and it's like that that's not a trading model. And even if it's on the back of envelope kind of figures, we just need to understand that that is something that can work. And sometimes they don't necessarily, people come to us without, without the sort of um, even the bones of how they're going to uh, generate income. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes for us, that's frustrating. But so, so to come to us, you know, we want to see that, that trading, um, how, that, how that will work. Um, and then we can, we can start pointing people in the right direction. We're part of the um, the Reach Fund Access Point. You know, we're an access point for the Reach Fund, which you all sort of know. So, um, so we can, you know, support people through that that application process to access some funding um, to uh, for the investment readiness support. Um, and again, you know, we're we're very tapped into cooperative practitioners and the networks of co-op advisors um, because it is a it is a difficult form, you know, sort of legally and typically you need people who, who understand the structures of what a co-op is and it does get quite complex. I mean, Co-ops UK are great. They've got, you know, lots of model model rules and mem memorandum articles of understanding for, um, you know, for different co-op forms. Um, but even so, you know, it's those kind of practitioners. So we would, uh, but yeah, we can certainly always point people in the in the right direction, even if they're not quite ready for us at the stage that they, they land on us almost. And we can typically quite quickly say what is something that could take finance. You know, we're kind of used to that and we're used to seeing lots of different models of things. And, you know, sometimes if somebody were a bit, little bit like Dragon's Den, you know, we'll just look at, you know, growth forecasts and just go, no way, mate. But, um, you know, but uh, we'll always be supportive. That's good to know. Good attitude to have. I'm going to steal Simon's favourite question. Revenge has finally happened. Tim, to give you some background on the podcast, we have a slight history of Simon stealing my favourite questions. So today I'm going to steal his. We're in a race, basically, all the time. <laughs> to, get, to get the best question off each other, or our favourite question anyway. Yeah, this is, this is something that I think a lot of us do in the social enterprise space. You know, you see events, news articles of different organisations coming up and, and joining the ecosystem. Is there any social enterprises, um, cooperatives at the moment that are coming out that you're you're really excited to buy? I think there's certainly, you know, as as I've sort of said before, sort of in the tech space, in the sort of what we call the platform co-ops, there is some, you know, there's there's definitely some interesting interesting groups that are coming out through through various initiatives. I mean, the co-op group had a, a sort of uh, initiative of uh, being able to provide some some space just some office space so that people could, uh, people could sort of get together and try and work on their cooperatives uh, there's an organization called Cotech um, which is a whole range of loads of different small co-ops working in uh, in the tech and digital space some of that is just marketing um, you know organizations maybe some maybe websites but also you know other sort of co-op platforms um, that are doing some doing some really interesting things so I think that would um, you know certainly certainly tech is is something that's coming through um, we love to see the pubs come through just because they're you know they're a great story um, you know there's there's always some real communities behind them um, 
I'm sort of uh, working on uh, again. Actually, we don't. It's not all in Devon, but I was just just. It's only because today I'm working <laughs> on uh, another Devon one, which is yes. uh, in Bobby Tracy. Um, <gasps> That's like so five minutes from me. Well, there you go. So Bobby Tracy Paradiso is uh, they they they. Long long story short, but they a few years ago they purchased uh, the King of Prussia, which is a, a derelict pub on the high street in Bobby. Um, and always had the ambition of turning it into uh, a gallery, an art centre, a cinema and a cafe and bistro. They raised loads of money through community shares um, a couple of years ago, about 500,000 through community shares and then plus other grants. So they, they bought the building. Um, they found that it was absolutely awful and had to spend loads more money than they'd hoped on it. Um, but they did, they did it, they've got it all, you know, got it all together and the, the sort of gallery and the artist studios are all there up and running. Um, but then they needed to raise some more money to um, to do the cafe and then the cinema. So uh, so we're, we're just doing second phase at the moment, supporting them to get the cafe, hopefully uh, up and going this year, ready for the summer. Um, and then I think probably the cinema is going to come later. But uh, but yeah, you know, it's it's sort of projects like that for me personally, especially coming from my um, my sort of rural enterprise background. You know, I sort of uh, I, I do love to see. It's really interesting as well. I think this idea of community and things, because I think I hate to bring up COVID. I think we really realise and we've seen particularly in the rural areas, um, I know sort of. You know, friends that live in sort of rural spaces have really come together and gone you know we we need to be making sure that our shops stay afloat are these small businesses that are you know essence of community um do you think there's been a shift in terms of people's reaction and want to support more community-based um, establishments yeah i mean i mean definitely and and, and now i'm actually going to switch to urban um so uh you know one uh, a group that um, we're not necessarily lending to but again doing sort of community shares at the moment um is uh, is in stokescroft in bristol um so stokescroft is a, a really multicultural area um very deprived um but you know you think of banksy you think of um all of those sort of uh, sort of people around that community uh, they've set up a community land trust um to um, to purchase a building um, that will house um, the People's Republic of Stokescroft, which is an organisation um, of the community, but also artists, um, you know, and quite edgy organisation um, that creates, uh, you know, pottery and paints pottery, but very, very uh, artistic and political uh, and, uh, and and motivated um, but they've got a community share offer out at, at the moment you know to try and um, secure that building for um, that community within Stokescroft to stop the gentrification of that part of Bristol mm. you know we've seen loads of it in Bristol I mean we're, we're based in Bristol but we work nationally um, and you know where where we are you know a lot of the the buildings round near us and we're, we're only around the corner from sort of Stokescroft area, you know, has gone into lovely offices and it's all very nice. You know, people invested a lot of money into it, but it's not necessarily what the community wants or needs. Um, and, you know, by um, by them securing at least one building, um, they can continue um, the, that community artists 
um, and uh, and you know in the radical nature of what they do within Stokescroft, and that's something you know we're very supportive of. So, but I think you know to to go back to your original question, yeah, absolutely, we've seen um, even more so than normal. You know, sort of um, uh, the galvanising of communities. Um, around all sorts of different things you know some of it is around you know an asset a building but not always uh, and uh, you know people are galvanizing in all sorts of different ways but needing to be you know sort of having a look at an eye to trading and, and how they can do that as an enterprise um, because you know I think one of my personal concerns is that I think it's been fantastic through COVID that people have you know galvanized and come together and created these new groups but actually what it's done is it's perhaps diluted some of the work of the uh, other charities out there and it just means more people are going for the same pots of money um, yeah. in competition with each other and I think that's a real challenge um, and as funders uh, themselves you know um, got less deep pockets because of you know the, because of the, the massive support that across the sectors that they did um, you know put the put the money out there. I think there's less to go around at the moment, but probably more organisations um, in need. Um, and uh, I think you know so looking at social enterprise, you know, in its its broadest form, including co-ops and community businesses, is something that's uh, I think probably going to be you know increasing yeah i think you've raised such a valuable point there because i think we're yeah the sector has got a challenging decade ahead of us i think and that's and what you've talked about today community enterprise cooperatives all of that stuff communities basically being placed more in power or being in control of community assets and, and operating in a in a different way is going to become more important i think than it has been i know there's a massive movement of cooperatives behind us but i think actually yeah, we're reaching a point where it is going to become far more common, actually, I hope. Anyway, that's what I hope. Tim, you've touched on um, so many interesting things today. I feel like we've covered such a broad range. How can people find out more um, about cooperative and community finance, Twitter, website? Yeah, so with, uh, yeah, so we are, um, we're just uh, sort of CWP, so coopfinance.coop, uh, so it's uh, yeah coopfinance.coop so that's that's our website we've also got um our twitter do click through to the website and uh, and our, our sort of twitter feeds on there and, and facebook is the same thanks for listening please subscribe for more episodes or follow us on twitter at this much underscore we know or email us at this much we know at homelesslink.org.uk